Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in New Orleans to chat with Jake Madison about the surging Pelicans and Anthony Davis's ankle. We'll go to Portland to chat with Eric Garcia Gunderson about the Portland Trailblazers, who are flying high after a big win over the Warriors. And lastly, we'll head to Los Angeles to talk Clippers with Lucas Hahn as they make a push for the playoffs in the crazy Western Conference. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, it's Josh Lloyd here, the host of Mondays on Locked On NBA. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We've got a packed show today, so let's get stuck straight into it. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Pelicans Podcast and the host of Locked On NBA on Wednesday, Jake Madison. We're talking about the New Orleans Pelicans, who were uh, absolutely flying high, but hit a little bit of a speed bump, losing their last two games. Things are extraordinarily tough in the Western Conference, Jake. So these last two losses for the Pelicans haven't been ideal, and it puts them really sort of bunched together with the Timberwolves and the Thunder in that in that mid zone. Anthony Davis returned today, so um. What do we make of the loss against uh, the Jazz that just uh, concluded not that long ago? And how does you know, this, you know, I guess, small speed bump, how does it affect the Pelicans as they push forward for not only a playoff spot, but for a high seeding? Yeah, you know, this these past two losses, particularly this one against the Jazz, definitely isn't good for the Pels. They've now lost the tiebreaker to the Jazz, who won the season series 3-1, which is definitely not what you want in this really tight, as you said, Western Conference, where just getting in should be the priority right now over getting a higher seed. You know, you had a big performance for Anthony Davis. He had 10 blocks in that game, uh, his first career triple-double, actually, with that on his 25th birthday, no less. But you didn't really get enough production from the rest of the guys, which had been kind of the key factor to this team firing off 10 games in a row. During that 10-game winning streak, you had Drew Holiday almost scoring 26 points per game, dishing rebounds, grabbing, uh, dishing assists, grabbing rebounds. There we go, said it properly. And frankly, his teammates in this game against the Jazz kind of fell flat, wasted a very dominant performance from Anthony Davis, showing kind of the lack of depth in this team overall. It's been an interesting thing, obviously, when uh, DeMarcus Cousins went down, people think, okay, well, it's going to be another season of Anthony Davis not making the playoffs. What does this mean for his long-term future? But since then, he has been a man possessed, and you could easily make the argument that he's been the best player in the NBA over these last few weeks. He went down, he missed that game with that ankle injury, returned today, had the triple-double, as you mentioned earlier. Um, Davis is carrying this team, but it's not just all about him. Some of the other players, I guess, get... I guess, marginalized just because of how big his performances have been. One guy I do want to touch on is a player that I don't, I didn't think I'd be speaking about this season, and that's Emeka Okafor, who is playing alongside Davis in that starting unit, allowing uh, Davis to play more at the four, which he prefers. How big has Okafor been in this you know, recent surge that the Pelicans have gone through? 
Oh, he's been vitally important, and you've got to give credit to the Pelicans front office for finding this guy, making the decision to bring him back to the league, and then give credit to head coach Alvin Gentry for starting him. Gentry, who's gotten a lot of flack this year, definitely deserves some credit for this move. And Okafor's been huge. By starting him at the center position, like you said, it allows Anthony Davis to play power forward, his preferred position. And then more than that, it allows him to guard the lesser matchup in the front court on defense. He doesn't need to go against guys like Rudy Gobert the entirety of the game or DeAndre Jordan, guys who are very physical and can kind of push him around a little bit. It gives him that energy to use or it saves some energy for him to use later in the game. And I think that's one of the big reasons we've seen such dominant performances from him because he's expending some energy or less energy on the defensive side of the ball to start games. And Okafor has just been a revelation. His defense has been great. He's been blocking shots at a very high rate, grabbing boards and doing just all of that dirty work that you need a guy to do. And at age 35, it's unbelievably impressive. Worth noting, though, you know, it is a big surprise that Okafor is out there doing this. But this is a guy who spent some time getting healthy. He's a big yoga practitioner, keeping his body in very good shape so that when that call came to come back into the NBA, he was ready. And he certainly was. And he's been a big boon to this Pelicans team. Rajon Rondo is a player who, who many casual NBA fans will, will still, uh, you know, I guess view back in the, the spectrum of him being this all-star winning a title for the Celtics. But his play this season has been up and down and Elvin Gentry hasn't been afraid to sit him out, not play him in crunch time and run with the Drew Holiday and Ian Clark in that backcourt. How do you view the way Rondo fits in his up and down form, his lackluster defense and what is the best lineup for the Pelicans? Do you agree with Gentry not playing him in crunch time for this team? Yeah, you know, there have been periods of time where Rondo is unplayable, but when he does play well, he's kind of needed out there. The Pelicans offense definitely stalls and stutters at times. And when Rondo gets in, usually it kind of rights the ship. You see that better ball movement from the team that they really want, particularly when they pay, play with such a high pace that you need to have that distributor and guy who guy who knows where to get people the ball. But as you said, his defense has been really bad at times this year, and you can't play him at crunch time. Earlier in the season against the Jazz, he just basically didn't show up, and it cost the team a win, potentially. You saw the Pelicans bench him in a bad loss against the 76ers where he didn't start. That started the 10-game winning streak for the Pelicans where he was playing very good ball. But over these past two, he's been a defensive liability. The Pelicans started the year in the bottom five defensively, but have recently climbed up to around the middle of the NBA. They were actually in the top 10 in January and February, and that was their identity last year and something they want to keep going forward. Shooting can abandon you at times. Sometimes you have games where you go 0 for 11 from 3 or what have you, but solid defense is a constant and important to be able to shut down opponents when you're having bad nights. With Rondo out there, it doesn't work. I don't think we've actually even seen the Pelicans' best lineup defensively just yet, or even their crunch time lineup. Hopefully Solomon Hill should be making his return to the team, I'd say, this week. I heard maybe Tuesday or Thursday. And then I think if you can kind of go with the small ball lineup that worked last season with Drew, with Etwan Moore, with Solomon Hill, Anthony Davis, and then maybe a Mecca Okafor or throw Darius Miller in there uh, for crunch time, you have a team that could do really well. There's enough shooting there, and I forgot to mention Nikola Miritich. I think that's the lineup that this team will kind of ride and hopefully used to get into the playoffs. I think yeah, your, your key there with is Solomon Hill, how he comes back. It's been obviously a long time since he played with this severe hamstring injury, but him coming in there provides that defense. And then you get more and Holiday, you're running that backcourt as well as those guys you mentioned in the front court, like a good mix between offense and defense in there. And yeah, Hill, he's not 
an electric offensive guy, but he can occasionally knock down corner threes, but providing that wing defense that Rondo, uh, not that he's guarding wings, but providing that uh, extra stability on that side of the ball, enabling the other players to do what they need to do. It's going to be very interesting for this uh, New Orleans team, Jake, as we move forward. Who knows where they're going to finish? Could they get the three seed? Could they fall out of the playoffs completely? They've got a tough schedule coming up. They've got the Hornets next, but then they've got three games which are really going to be a key part or a key indicator of how this team goes. They've got the Spurs, the Rockets, and the Celtics uh, to finish off the week. So some really tough matchups here. We're all going to be watching to see how it goes, Jake. And if you want to hear more about the uh, the Pelicans, go and check out the Locked on Pelicans podcast. It was good to have you on to talk about uh, a team that's been, um, I guess, the top of everyone's mind recently. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Josh. No problem. I'm joined now by Eric Garcia-Gunderson, the host of the Locked on Blazers podcast, to talk about a team that I think many people would be surprised to see sitting in the third seed in that uh, ever-competitive and uh, and challenging Western Conference. Eric, Portland, uh, big win over the weekend, and uh, things are looking pretty good at the moment. Yeah, uh, things have probably never looked better for the Blazers. I think it was a surprise even to a lot of people here uh, that they have made the run that they've made. I think the the mood on the team was kind of, we're kind of tired of seeing this for a while uh, in the first couple of months of the season, but the defense, you know, nobody likes defense. And so that was like the only thing that was keeping them afloat. Their offense was really bad. And now it seems like the defense is, Oh, it, you know, it's decent. It's going to be steady. You know, it, it's, it's a steady defense, but then now they're also getting all these crazy games from Damian Lillard that uh, have really just taken their offense to another level. There's a couple of things there that you mentioned that are, that are really important. The defense, especially last season, they were 24th in defensive rating. This season, at the time of recording, they're sixth overall. So that's a significant jump without really a big change in personnel. The guy that's really entered the rotation this year is Zach Collins. But as a rookie, as a, a guy who struggled early in the season, he's not making that big difference in the defense. What has changed to make this defense you know, really impressive and a big strength of this team, especially the way that you know the defensive backcourt of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, it's been criticized plenty of times, but they've actually been really stout in defending uh, wings and backcourts, and it's made a big difference to the uh, to the success of this team. Yeah, I, I, I think that it starts for me again with Damian Lillard. Uh, I think I, I thought his defense was the worst of anybody in the starting lineup for a while. You know, he'd run into screens and and it, it would it would, you know he was a pretty good post defender, but that was about it that you could count on. And now he's guarding guys throughout the course of the game out he's stretching his defense he's you know getting out on guys cj has been really solid and then i think having nurkic in there all season long has really made a huge difference as well i think he was just a much better rim protector a guy that can kind of erase little things and there's been less mistakes to erase but i think he's just a much better more adept rim protector than they had last year with Plumlee for most of the season and uh aminu was out for a month this year and that happened last year too and portland's defense went into the tank and this year aminu was out for that same period of time but nurkic being there dame playing better the guards i think shabazz napier is another guy who actually plays pretty solid defense even though he's undersized uh you know i I think it's just been a lot of work uh all over the roster and david vanterpool the assistant uh, for the Blazers uh, has been credited, you know, as as being the guy that took charge of that defense, and that's what they worked on in training camp was pretty much all defense. 
I'm going to get back to Lillard in a second, but Nurkic is, a, is an interesting one. Obviously, he came across last season at the trade deadline, and he was yeah, really excellent with this team. He improved his passing. The defense was a, was a big part of what he was able to do. But this season, things have been a little bit different for him, and we can talk about this big increase in defense for the team in total. And yeah, the prevailing wisdom is that Nurkic is, is doing a huge amount here, but he's playing fewer minutes this season than what he did when he came over last year. Last year, when he came across, he was playing over 29 minutes per game. This year, it's only 26 minutes per game but he's playing you know, even fewer minutes uh, recently. And the other thing is, is the team last season, in terms of on-off numbers, like they were significantly better with him on the court. They were a plus 11. This year, he's only just above neutral, a plus 0.6 with him on the court. Can we put some of this defensive improvement on the fact that Ed Davis is actually healthy this season? Because we know he hurt his shoulder last year, and he's providing a huge boost. And is it that combination of Nurkic and Davis rather than just Nurkic? Because he has been, I guess, not quite as impactful as what he was last season, and he's had some uh, up and downs in terms of uh, confidence and benchings and that sort of thing. No, totally. You're absolutely right that Ed Davis being healthy this season is a huge, huge factor. Uh, last year, you know, he just wasn't the same uh, even when he played. And I think it was because the shoulder injury happened the year before and he just couldn't play through it. But then, you know, he got in great shape this year and he's doing all the dirty work. I mean, he's playing in crunch time. And I think one of the things that has really been helpful for them has been that Stotts has had kind of the I think that they just have a little bit of front court depth now that, you know, Nurkic can give you a solid 20, Ed Davis can give you a solid 20, 25, and even Collins now is coming in and finishing games, playing 20, 25, 28 minutes, and Stotts can kind of ride the hot hand depending on the game. I'm on record as saying I'm a, I'm a pretty big Zach Collins fan, so it's exciting to see him yeah, get in, work his way into this rotation ahead of guys like Myers Leonard, who was playing above him earlier in the season, and even Caleb Swanigan, who was playing above him. But Collins has really stepped up and provides value. Like on nights when Aminu struggles, he can play some of those minutes. If Nurkic is struggling, he can play some of those minutes. So he's, he's a key part. Do you think he's going to be an actual part of the playoff rotation when Stotts cuts it down a bit? I, I, I think he, he should be. I mean, I think, I think he gives them a dimension that they just don't have at that four spot. I mean, he he's really long. He can help protect the rim. He can switch out on smaller guys. He can shoot the three. He's also hit a bunch of clutch threes. Uh, I think against Oklahoma City, he had one uh, two weeks ago. And then uh, the game against the Warriors down the stretch, he makes that clutch three and then also gets a, a big steal uh, down the stretch of that game. And I think he doesn't he reminds me a little bit of Steven Adams when he was younger because Adams wasn't quite ready to get all those minutes but I think he could still be useful uh in stretches and I think it, not, they're not the same player but in terms of the function with the the core group that they already have he kind of reminds me of that you know he's he plays above his age yeah, I, I, can, I can totally say that. He has improved significantly. The, the player, of course, that's driving everything is Damian Lillard. We're hearing his name come up in terms of MB, MVP conversation. I'm not sure he's at, you know, he's not at James Harden's level, but he is yeah, a guy that historically second half of the season has always turned it on. And he's doing it again this year. His numbers, as opposed to last season, are, are pretty similar. But you know, we saw the big win over the Warriors. And it seems like every game, if the Blazers are in trouble at all, Lillard is the guy that steps up. And having that reliability and consistency in those big moments is going to be huge for this team who's pushing for home court advantage and you know, looking to win themselves at least one playoff series. How important is he to this team? It's, it should go without saying, yeah. 
Oh, I absolutely. But, you know, I, I think it's important that we repeat it so that, you know, he doesn't get taken for granted. I, I, he really is, you know, the driving force behind this team. And it's really been showing through these last couple of months with these late game takeovers. He had uh, a bunch of these amazing plays down the fourth quarter. He is the leading scorer in the NBA in the second half of games. Uh, he has, and also his defense has improved. So that I think his defense improving really is, is a big thing that elevated this team because now on defense, he's really walking the walk and He's always been great about getting on guys, being engaged, setting a culture with within the team of being competitive at practice and uh, making sure that guys don't, you know, don't get lost in their own heads uh, when they're not playing. A, a guy like Mo Harkless, who throughout his career, he's struggled with that. And even when he got benched a bunch, he has come back and played well when he played. Then you also have uh, – Nurkic, a guy who again kind of has this reputation of being moody and checking out, and and Dame manages to stay on those guys, and they have been really productive. And so I think Dame sets the culture, and then also on the defense, he's really set a tone of like we're actually going to play defense this year. He's been fantastic, no doubt about that, and he is the heart and soul of this team. As yeah, the Blazers you know, currently on a nine, uh, they've won nine out of their last ten. I believe they're on a, a nine-game winning streak as well, the largest winning streak in the NBA. Eric, it's going to be it's fun times in Portland. This team has surprised many as they push. I think they're not going to be able to get a top two seed, but if they can get themselves first round home court advantage, it's going to be really interesting times in Portland, and uh, they'll give uh, they'll give the Warriors or the Rockets a, a shake if that's what ends up happening in terms of matchups in the playoffs. Eric, thank you for joining me, and uh, go Blazers. Thanks, Josh. I'm joined now by Lucas Hahn, the host of the Locked On Clippers podcast, for uh, to talk about, um, I guess, a, a team that many would be surprised to see them currently sitting in the eighth seed in the Western Conference, especially after losing Chris Paul in the offseason and Blake Griffin in uh, late January. Lucas, it's been uh, it's been a weird season for the Clippers, but uh, really looking good at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's been super weird from the expectations being relatively high coming in, even post Chris Paul because of the pieces they added and then plummeting because of the injuries, and then they significantly overachieve with all those injuries, and then they trade Blake Griffin, but now they seem to be playing better, honestly, since the Blake trade than they were beforehand, just the way the offense is flowing. So it's been kind of every at every turn, every time the storyline kind of pivots, they go the opposite way of where they've been expected to go. Well, they've been flying since uh, since that Griffin trade. They've only lost four games in that in that time frame. Thirteen and four since Griffin was traded at the end of January, and they're doing this without Patrick Beverly, who's out for the season. Uh, Avery Bradley, who came across in that trade, but he's injured at the moment with that groin. Uh, Danilo Gallinari's been out for the majority of the season, and they're getting by with guys like C.J. Williams and Ty Wallace, who they don't have at the moment. Yes, Cinderius Thornwell's playing minutes. There's this weird cast of uh, characters. Now, Doc Rivers has been criticized in the past for some of his coaching strategies, but it's been one of his best years in terms of coaching to get this team yeah, where they're in contention for the playoffs with just so many injuries and uh, and players moving on. Yeah, I think with Doc, a lot of times the criticism comes from maybe in-game management sort of things. So like um, playing all bench lineups or playing combinations of players that don't make sense together. There was a thing a couple years ago where basically when Jamal Crawford and Paul Pierce played together, the Clippers had like the worst defensive lineup in the NBA. Like that was one of the worst two-man defensive pairings in the NBA. But because Doc Rivers 
would always play full like five man bench units as his second unit. Jamal Crawford and Paul Pierce were sharing the floor for like 16 minutes a night, and it was just consistently a disaster. But in terms of overall setting up his schemes and managing his locker room, these are things that I think he's always been pretty good at, and I think it's fairly evidenced by the fact that the Clippers are normally pretty good both in offensive and defensive rating. Of course, a big portion of that is personnel, but you know the overall scheming has been, has been one thing. I think he's... One thing that he's talked about is he said he's used the most different game plans this season of any season that he's been coaching in the NBA because with so many guys in and out of the lineups and dealing with different threats from opposing teams every night, he's constantly adjusting day by day. And I think maybe having to do that is just keeping him more engaged overall and just all around helping out. But yeah, I think this is probably the best job I can remember him doing in his time with the Clippers. At the time of us recording, the Clippers are in the eighth seed. They're half a game ahead of Denver, half a game ahead of Utah. But both of those teams are playing today. We're recording this uh, Sunday. Before those teams play, it's going to be obviously go down to the wire. All these teams are just continually winning games and making it really, really tough um, you know, to work out how this, the playoffs are going to shake out. The Clippers' schedule moving forward, how does that look for them in terms of being able to push into that either eight seed or another team that's tumbling above them in the seventh seed, the San Antonio Spurs, who have only won two of their past 10 games, and the Clippers only half a game behind them. So there's just many ways that it can go. How does the Clippers' schedule look? Yeah, the Clippers have probably, they. I think they either have the most difficult or the second most difficult remaining schedule. The next game coming up is against Chicago, which is obviously, you know, an easy one, one that they need to win. But then after that, in the last couple weeks of March, they've got 10 games, eight of them on the road, and I think nine of them against playoff teams. So just a brutal, brutal stretch they've got in Houston, in Oklahoma City back-to-back, in Minnesota, in Milwaukee back-to-back during that stretch. They have a five-game and seven-night stretch that includes that Milwaukee-Indiana back-to-back, another game against Milwaukee, a game in Toronto. So, it, I mean, it's brutal. But the one thing that they do have is they have opportunity to make up ground in head-to-head games. They play Portland two more times. They play Denver again. They play Utah again. They play New Orleans again. They play Minnesota again. They play San Antonio again. They play Oklahoma City again. So all of those teams in that race, the Clippers have another game against. They've got two against Portland. So I think that's ultimately where their opportunities will come. Can they hand out losses to those teams in those games, which should all essentially be kind of considered coin flips with where the teams are at this point in the season? Daniel Gallinari could be a key piece to this, but obviously he's had his injury problems this season, the two glute problems, and now the hand issue. And now we're hearing that he's debating whether he needs surgery on that uh, on that fracture in his hand. Um, the Clippers have gotten by with you know, using just really weird lineups of guys, you know, consistently changing the starting lineup. Lou Williams comes in one game. Milos Teodosic comes in. You see Sendarius Thornwell start. Wes Johnson started. Um Gallinari, are you hopeful for a return this regular season? Or just given his history in terms of recovering from injuries, we sort of almost have to expect that he's not going to be a big contributor here. Yeah, I think probably right now you have to go. There's a chance he could play again, but I think you have to look at it like he probably won't. Because what, what we last heard yesterday was that he's about a week away from the swelling being down enough in his hand to get an examination done to determine if he needs surgery. So even if he gets the surgery, whether he does or not, he's a week away from them even being able to tell if he needs it or not. So that to me just seems like 
at least a couple weeks after that. And there's only four weeks left in the season. So, yeah, I think if he can come back, however many games he can come back for, he gives the team a big lift. He brings in another score and probably where the Clippers depth is weakest is at those forward positions. Like you said, Wesley Johnson, Sandarius Thornwell sliding into the starting lineup. Um, Wesley Johnson has been really, really bad <laughs> this year. And Sam Decker also available at that position, but really not playing at an NBA level. So it's fallen to the second round rookie, Sandarius Thornwell, to play out of position and start at small forward. But yeah, that's, you know, that third forward position is weak for the Clippers. It would be big for them if they were able to get Gallinari back, but I'm not optimistic about it happening. Lucas, we all know that this uh, this is going to be an interesting battle for these, I was going to say the last couple of seasons, but that's not even the case. We're talking about, you know, three through 10 in the Western Conference, all battling for positioning and actual playoff appearances. The Clippers are going to be right in the mix there, currently sitting in that eight seed, but by the time you listen to this, that may have changed. Lucas, thank you for coming on. And if you want to hear more about the Clippers, make sure you're checking out Lucas on Locked on Clippers. Yeah, thank you, Josh. That does it for another episode of the Locked On NBA podcast. Make sure you are following the rest of the Locked On podcast network on Twitter and on Facebook at Locked On NBA Net. And if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, go and leave a five-star rating and a review. And you can find this show wherever you find other podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure you check us out there and subscribe. My name's Josh Lloyd. Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.